Governor J.B. Pritzker imposes new vaccine and mask mandates, and the General Assembly gears up for a one-day special session about redistricting. We'll talk about all that coming up on this week's edition of Capital Cast. Hello and welcome to Capital Cast, a regular podcast of Capital News Illinois. I'm Peter Hancock and I'm here again with State House Bureau Chief Jerry Nowicki in the basement of the State House where you might be able to hear it's beyond our control. There is occasional jackhammering going on. Anyway, as cases of COVID-19 Delta variant continue to rise, hospitals across Illinois have been filling up again. On Friday, public health officials reported 2,240 individuals in Illinois were hospitalized with COVID-19. It comes as no surprise that the region's hardest hit are also the regions with the lowest vaccination rates. In Region 5, which covers 20 counties in southern Illinois, where fewer than half of all adults have been vaccinated, only about 5% of all ICU beds were available Friday. We've been seeing this trend now for some weeks, so it wasn't really a surprise when Governor Pritzker held a news conference in Chicago on Thursday to make this announcement. In Illinois, vaccines will be required for all P-12 teachers and staff, all higher education personnel, all higher education students, and healthcare workers in a variety of settings such as hospitals, nursing homes, urgent care facilities, and physicians' offices. Effective September 5th, individuals working in these settings who are unable or unwilling to receive their first dose of vaccine will be required to get tested for COVID-19 at least once a week and DPH and ISBE may require more frequent testing in certain situations, like in an outbreak. In the meantime, Illinois will join several other states that have reinstituted statewide indoor mask requirements, regardless of vaccination status, effective on Monday. Masks work, period. So, Jerry, new mask mandates and vaccine mandates covering a wide swath of the population. It kind of seems like this whole pandemic, it's been a a process of two steps forward and one step back. Uh, What's been the reaction to this? Are people getting really frustrated at this point? Of course, yeah, a lot of frustration regarding the pandemic from uh, you know, vaccinated individuals who that's 50 per, 52, 53% of Illinois population who a lot of them you see venting those frustrations as, you know, we've done our part. We have the solution to this virus. Uh, everyone gets vaccinated. It, it stops spreading basically, you know, you can get breakthrough cases, but, uh, if you get enough vaccinated, those will go away. Ideally, hopefully, because, you know, the the, ver- the virus does continue to mutate, as we know, and that's the Delta variant right now that's causing a lot of the elevated case counts that we see. But the frustration on the unvaccinated individuals, some of those, uh, some portion of those people at least, uh, is that they believe the government is telling them what to do. Uh, so, yeah, there's everywhere you look, there's frustration with this pandemic. But the fact is, it continues to kill people. I think we saw one day this week with 40 deaths in a day, which 
I thought we were passing that many, but here we are. Um, I think the governor noted um, at one point uh, that at least 95, 98% of what we're seeing in hospitalizations and deaths are in unvaccinated individuals. So, you know, we have the solutions, the tools are there. Uh, it's unfortunate that there's not enough buy-in. Okay, it does seem though, generally speaking, uh, the mitigation measures that the governor has ordered in the past, no matter how inconvenient or frustrating they are, they generally seem to have done their job. Uh, when they're in place, cases and hospitalization rates go down. When the mitigations are lifted, they go back up again. Uh, in the past, though, Pritzker has always given some kind of metrics that he would use uh, that would signal it's okay to ease off on the mitigations. This time, he really didn't. So are we expecting this to stay in place for quite some time? Yeah, you know, I, I specifically tried to get that out of him when I had my one-on-one -on -one interview um, a couple months back. I think you were on vacation, whenever it was. Um, I, but he didn't give metrics then. He just said, you know, if hospitalizations continue to rise. And as you noted, 5%, 3% of uh, Southern Illinois' ICU beds are available. So, I mean, why not issue that mask mandate? Uh, there's no reason not to. And, of course, Southern Illinois is very rural, uh, sparsely populated area with a lot of small and medium-sized towns. Didn't have a whole lot of hospital capacity going into this to begin with uh, so it doesn't take very much to put pressure on them uh, are there any other regions of the state i'm thinking metro east area east st louis uh, any other areas of significant concern yeah so southern illinois the thing about that is it's region five in the reopening plan or whatever it is now mitigation plan there was only 90 beds in the whole region so that's the reason there's so few available um you know the other ones range generally from the 20s to 74 uh in in the suburbs 100 uh, in suburban Cook, 124 in Chicago, but of course there's 884 beds in Chicago, so th that's not in as bad a shape. But there are there are other regions that have cause for concern, certainly. Okay, and throughout the pandemic, I mean, the governor has taken a lot of unpopular actions: uh, the stay-at-home order, the business closures, uh, the initial mask mandates. Um, and he's always gotten some pushback, but he's been able to weather it so far. Uh, what kind of pushback is he getting this time? And is it getting any more intense? You, of course, have the Republicans always saying, you know, there should be more of the involvement of the General Assembly. But you even have some maybe right of center business organizations that are saying thank you for these mask mandates. That's the... Um, Manufacturers Association, the Retail Merchants Association, that's by doing it as a state, you're taking a lot of pressure off of individual businesses. Uh, so, I mean, you know, you use the word unpopular, but we, we know there's intense pushback in some circles, but public polling has shown that uh, uh, for most of this pandemic, more people have agreed with the governor's orders than have disagreed. Uh, you can maybe take public polling in a, with a grain of salt at some time, but uh, for every loud person against something, there are definitely quiet people for something, uh, certainly. 
And it's probably worth noting that we did get statements from uh, the Illinois Manufacturers Association, the Retail Merchants Association, I believe some chambers of commerce, some chambers of commerce, uh, generally expressing support for it. Uh, so as long as he has those people in his corner, uh, does that kind of insulate him a little bit? Yeah, I don't even know if he is worried about insulation at this time. Uh, we've seen enough people die uh, that masks certainly don't seem like a big, uh, a big inconvenience. Meanwhile, as all that is happening, uh, the General Assembly is gearing up for a one-day special session on Tuesday, August 31st to deal with redistricting, which I guess we can call at this point re-redistricting. They didn't have official census numbers when they drew new maps back in May, and now that those numbers are out, as many people predicted, they have to go back and make some adjustments because the districts they drew the first time were wildly out of balance. House and Senate committees held their first in a series of public hearings on Thursday. Here's Cicero Democratic State Representative Lisa Hernandez, who chairs the House committee. At the time, I stated that when the 2020 census data was released in the fall, the House Democrats will review it to determine if changes should be made. Now that we have the census data, we are fulfilling our commitment to review the data, seek additional input from the public, and amend the redistricting plan to incorporate the latest census data as needed. As in the spring, the House Democrats remain committed to providing the public with various ways to make their voices heard to ensure a fair map that reflects the broad racial and geographic diversity of Illinois. So Democrats readily admitted that they passed the initial maps in order to meet the June 30th deadline in the Illinois Constitution and thereby avoid sending the process to a bipartisan commission where Republicans would have had a 50-50 chance of controlling the process. But Republicans are arguing that because those maps were unconstitutional, Democrats actually missed the June 30th deadline, and they're suing in federal court to get that bipartisan commission going, which many people consider to be a long shot. At Thursday's hearing, though, they also alleged that the fix is already in, that the public hearings are all a charade because Democrats are already busy drawing the maps that they want, Here's State Representative Tim Butler of Springfield. I was here yesterday in this very room for a hearing. And the gate was down to this to this room. So I walked into the adjacent room, which is the House of Representatives rooms just behind just behind this hearing room. And what I witnessed yesterday was many, many House Democratic members in that room looking at their maps, literally sitting in front of laptops, looking at their maps. So to think that this process isn't, this is an exercise in futility, unfortunately, for all you of the advocacy groups and for those of us in the minority party. I, I literally witnessed with my own eyes a member of the General Assembly looking at their map, talking to staff about whether it was square enough or not which is what I overheard. And it turns out it wasn't just Republicans who were skeptical of the process. A number of groups representing Latino communities, Muslim Americans, Jewish communities, 
and even traditional voting rights advocacy groups argued that the original maps did not reflect the diversity of the state, and they all urged lawmakers to slow down and to give the public an opportunity to review whatever new maps are going to be proposed. Here's Amy Gandhi of the Chicago Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights. We're hearing time and time again, even in today's hearing, communities of color themselves and ourselves are saying loud and clear that we're uncomfortable with this redistricting process, with this huge rush, with this lack of transparency, and people do not feel reassured that their rights are being respected. But Jerry, it looks like Democrats are plowing ahead anyway. So what are we expecting on Tuesday? Yeah, what I'm expecting on Tuesday is they're going to stand up and say we had X amount of committee hearings, which proves we're being transparent, which of course isn't true because they didn't show the maps at the hearings. And they're not even, again, saying what data they're using for the maps. Of course, they're using the census data because that's the most precise population data. But uh, during the whole process last time, uh, you heard uh, Representative Hernandez and others say, you know, I don't know what data we're using. Uh, it's not of my concern. I just am carrying the bill. So uh, what uh, what I did, uh, finally, I think during the last day of approval, we heard Senate President Don Harmon say that they were contracting with EDS. That's all he used, their initials. So we looked that up. It was Election Data Services, which is a political consulting firm that specializes in redistricting, uh, election administration, and the analysis and presentation of census and political data, according to its website. So with that information from Harmon, we, uh, I sent a FOIA to the House and the Senate about uh, those contracts with EDS, and I found that it was roughly about $300,000 that was given to EDS, uh, and that was beginning in March 16th. So the whole time we were having these public hearings and they were saying, we don't know what data is available, that had to be intentional because they were spending the money. Um, sending the uh, vouchers to the comptroller who was sending out the money. And uh, some of those vouchers were for things like demographic analysis, things like creation of election returns database, uh, and configured data entry system for election returns uh, to be entered by speaker's office staffed for redistricting, uh, um, compiling and verifying precinct boundaries over decade, uh, compilation of data sets for racial block voting analysis, for redistricting House Speaker's Office, uh, geographic evaluation of data, and political database election returns, just stuff like that. So we know what data they're using. They're probably going back to EDS. I, I, haven't, I haven't gotten the most recent uh, information, but that's the firm that uh, was used to draw the initial maps. And of course, and I, well, I shouldn't say draw because when I used the word draw previously on Twitter, they told me uh, it wasn't drawing the maps. It was just compiling data. OK, we'll try to be careful about that. And of course, anybody who's been through a redistricting process before knows this is the most rawly political process that a legislature can engage in, in addition to looking at racial and demographic numbers as well as sheer population numbers. Uh, they're also looking at political data. They look at how precincts have voted in the past, whether they lean Democratic or Republican. So can we, we can generally expect, I suppose, that Democrats are going to look at that data and draw districts that are favorable to Democrats and try and block out Republicans. Uh, but do they ever right. talk much about that? 
No, it kind of got into that a little bit the last day in May when they approved them. But, you know, you're right, Peter, that's every state across the nation, maybe a couple don't, but they're they're basically using political data and the party in power gets to draw their maps. Like it, it's nothing unique to Illinois, really. But the fact that they're standing up here and saying, you know, we don't know what data is being used, that's that's disingenuous. Okay, and I guess we still have the standing question of whether or not uh, Democrats actually met the June 30th deadline. They did pass maps. They were enacted into law before June 30th, but it's widely agreed that those maps are invalid and can't be put into place. Uh, so what's the thinking here? Did they meet the deadline or not? Uh, that's going to be for the court to decide. Of, of note, they did postpone the hearing, which was scheduled, I think, for earlier this week. They postponed postponed it to September 1st. It'll be a telephone hearing uh, so that the Democrats, uh, basically so that the legislature's redrawn maps would be available during the next hearing and, and the, the arguments might have to be reworked considering that. But the other thing I think that is interesting is it's in a federal court for a matter of pertaining to the state constitutional deadlines. So whether the court would rule to evoke the Constitution, I have no idea. Yeah, I was always told that one of the first cardinal rules among federal judges is to not get into a fight you don't have to get into. Uh, so there's plenty of reason for them to say, you know, that's, that's a matter for state courts to decide. Uh, Anyway, the other issue we haven't really talked about yet uh, that is hanging out there, and we, I guess we don't know if it's going to come up, uh, has to do with the much-debated and much-awaited energy bill. Any signs that we're going to get that clean energy bill, and could the special session maybe last more than a day? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's going to last more than a day or not. Uh, latest I've heard on the energy bill from a number of uh, advocates and or lawmakers is that they're getting there, but the holdup is still uh, the Prairie State Energy Campus in the Metro East. It's just a massive coal-fired power plant, and there's a debate as to how how quickly it can ramp down its its carbon emissions and if it can get to zero emissions at any point to remain open past 2045 or the date's been 2035 at times so there's no language out that we'd be able to say specifically you know this is what's going to happen to prairie state um so that, that's going to be one of the main ones okay well we'll be keeping an eye on all of that in the upcoming week but for now that will do it for this week's edition of capital cast capital cast is a production of capital news illinois a statehouse reporting project of the illinois press foundation until next time, this is Peter Hancock and Jerry Nowicki saying stay safe and thank you for listening.